0: people remember English class say uh, ninth grade anybody remember your ninth grade English class anybody yep yep for me uh, my, my, my most memorable English class was actually my senior year when I decided I was not going to be in any AP classes anymore uh, that I was going to skate through my senior year. plus I really needed to boost my GPA so I, I dropped out of all uh, the AP classes and took you know, regular classes uh, for for you know, and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And then the lady I got for English taught hello, oh, awesome. Um, taught AP English for years. Her name was Miss Flag, and she hated me. Um, she hated me because she thought everybody in her class should basically it should always be an AP class. And um, but she taught me so much about English that it really did change my life. It changed the way that I wrote. It changed the way that I viewed English as a whole. I think a lot of what I do today. Um, in 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 writing and, and things like that a lot of that reflects well upon her and her commitment to that and one of the words I learned in my 12th grade year now. I should have learned this previously Let me just say that it probably because I didn't have a great appreciation for English, but uh, Was was the word was a literary tool contrast right and in contrast It just it just means different. It just means different. Of course it can apply to opposites right it can apply to opposites like night and day or big and and small but contrast at, at the heart of contrast, it's just a literary tool um, whose primary purpose is to point us or to point out the differences between two objects or, or, or two groups of, of things and and so uh, for instance cats and dogs right cats and dogs are not opposites man you have your hands full. cats and dogs are not opposites but they are very different one is a pet and the other is something Something. I'm joking. If you if you're a cat person, I want to I want to tell you. Here's my confession. I'm not a great cat person, but I will pet a cat. I really will, and I I actually I kind of like them. I just don't want to take care of one. You know what I'm saying? So like like a dog gives me something back, and a cat. I think they're very. I think they're beautiful animals. I just I just don't I don't want to have to change the litter box thing. Like that's just yeah yeah. They kill my when listen. When we build out in the country, we're having cats. We're gonna we're gonna be cat people. I just want them to be outdoor cats, you know, kind of like trained coyotes. It's gonna be. Um, I, I don't know if the coyotes from a cat thing or not, but so so. Listen, contrast. The point of a contrast is just to point out the difference. Okay, it doesn't have to be an opposite. It just has to be different. Like cats and dogs are different. Okay, but they're they're, they're both pets and. and where we are right now in the story is we've, we've made ourselves through, by the way, guys, we're walking through this book. It's, it's like a chronological Bible. It's not the entire Bible, but it's segments of Scripture put all together in chronological uh, order. And so where we are now in the history of this new nation that God has created called Israel is, is two weeks ago, the kingdom divided. Okay, post-Solomon. Uh, because of Solomon's sin of idolatry the kingdom was divided into two and so we've got two separate kingdoms which used to all be called one they all used to be the nation of Israel but now there's two kingdoms the northern kingdom is called Israel okay and it's it's confusing because we used to call the whole thing Israel but now the northern kingdom is Israel the southern kingdom is called Judah and Judah is made up, made up of two tribes it's the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah The northern kingdom, called Israel now, is the other ten tribes. And that's kind of where we find ourselves. In our text today, the northern kingdom, guys, we studied that the last two weeks. In our text today, the northern kingdom is going to cease to exist altogether. They're going to be be taken captive, and the northern kingdom will never exist again. And, And against that, in contrast of that, God wants us to take a look at the southern kingdom. What are these two kingdoms doing differently? Why is one going to cease to exist? And why is God going to continue to use the other? That's what we want to look at in the story this morning. This great story of contrast between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Join me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts for that. Father, um, we come before you this morning. And God, we are grateful um, for your word. We know that it is true. We are grateful for the ability to gather and to study it. Lord, I'm so thankful. Um, for those that are gathered here. Holy Spirit, we want to come now and invite you to take your proper place in our church, which is as our teacher and our guide. We would ask that you would come now and fill this pulpit and that you would lift up Jesus Christ. Jesus, are you exalted, we pray that you would do um, what you say you will in your word, that you would draw all of us closer to yourself, say that you would draw all men um, to yourself. And we pray that you would draw our hearts to you today, that you would point out any error in our lives and that you would transform us and give us a desire to want to be like you. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. I do want to say to you this morning, if you're just joining us, uh, we still have copies of this book. We've handed out over 700 copies of the story throughout Elgin. They are completely free. They are for you. They're down um, this, this hallway to my right. Uh, To your left there's there's a whole looks like a bar in a Baptist Church it's a big bar over there and uh, and these are on it and they're free and you guys take them Uh, we're in week 16 next week show back up haven't read uh, week 17 as we study this story this week um, in the north the northern kingdom the 19th and final king of the north is on the throne and his name is is Hosea and so Hosea takes takes the throne and like all of the other kings of the north He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the text goes out of its way to say, well, he wasn't as bad as some of the northern kings, but he was still a bad dude. And and in fact, here's what scripture says about him. It says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, now, so think last week, we think about Ahab um, and we think about Jezebel and, and how terrible they were. It's basically saying, listen, Hosea wasn't that, but he wasn't far away. He did evil. What was uh, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord? And because of this evil, and because of, of the evil of all the kings that came before him, listen. There have been nineteen kings now, including Hosea, and not a single one of those kings has feared the Lord. None of them. And and so because of that, because of these nineteen different kings, none of them fearing the Lord, God allows uh, God, God allows Assyria to invade uh, the capital of the northern kingdom, which is Samaria, and and they conquer Samaria and they deport all of the israelites back to assyria that's what happens right it, it, it's tragic and so this is what the bible says happens second king seventeen twenty three. so the people of israel that's northern kingdom again i'm just talking about the northern king so the people of the northern kingdom were taken from their homeland into exile into assyria and there they still are that means they never returned Folks, as we study the Old Testament, there are captivities. Like, like here in a little bit, Judah's going to be taken captive. But th- those captives are going to return. These people are never going to return. In fact, the king of Assyria is going to resettle... He's going to resettle Samaria with people from Assyria and Babylon. And eventually, when we read the New Testament, we read about Samaritans. They are the the Jewish remnant that then will intermarry with the Assyrian and Babylonian people, and they'll kind of become a mixed race. And that's who we we find um, the disciples talking about when they talk about Samaritans in the New Testament. Now, as we read about the tragic end of the northern kingdom, which is horrible, these people never return. And as we read that statement, the very next thing we read in the Bible— is uh, chapter eighteen of Second Kings, and we read about the king of the south named Hezekiah. So, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Second Kings chapter eighteen. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. We're in Second Kings chapter eighteen. I'll give you a moment to turn as I sip on my hot tea. It's good too. Just the only bad, It was the only teabag left in the church. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I'm in 2 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And this is what it says about this new king in the south called Hezekiah. So, in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel. So, Hoshea is the king of the north. He reigns nine years, and then he's taken captive. In his third year, okay, so we'll have six years after Hezekiah uh, takes over. In his third year, it says this Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Uh, There in in the southern kingdom He was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in jerusalem 29 years His mother's name was abijah daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the lord So Hosea did evil in the eyes of the lord. Okay Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the lord just as his father david did now His father wasn't actually david that's referring to king david the man after god's own heart So he was like king david uh, verse four. He removed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones, and he cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake of Moses that Moses had made. For up to that time, Israelites had begun burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Um, now, now, I, I want to say this. This is just this is free. Okay, this is no extra charge kind of stuff. All right, this should say something to us about our religion. Uh, Remember the bronze snake you guys may not remember that but the Israelites were in the desert they, they had been they would they, escaped from Egypt and and they, they were complaining against God and God sent these poisonous snakes to kind of deal with the complaint. In the spirit of complaint, and so when they, somebody was bit by a snake, the only way they could survive was to then look to this bronze serpent that Moses had crafted. That was lifted up, and it's supposed to be kind of a picture of a savior that will be lifted up that is to come. So they would look to this bronze serpent, and all those that looked to the bronze serpent were healed. Right, but now at this point, idol worship has become so rampant, not just in the north but also in the south, that they're worshiping anything, including the bronze snake that once brought healing. So they've actually made the bronze snake a god. Listen. In churches, especially Baptist people, I love you. I love you, dear Baptist, right? Com- you know, committees out the wazoo and everything else. You- like, we have some things called traditions that are religious, okay? And, and, and they're just the way we like to do things. That's what a tradition is. You know, the way I like to do church is this way and I think it should be high, and I think it should be like this, and I don't like that instrument, or I don't want that instrument, or I think we should play these songs, I think the carpet should be this color, I think we should have a break at this time, I think we should take up the offering at this point, and it's called tradition. And hear me, there comes a time that even some of those traditions have to be smashed if they become ultimate things for us, okay? And so, so this thing had to be smashed, and so, so he even did that. He even breaks up the bronze snake. Now, verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, The God of Israel, there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord, and he did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands that the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Wow. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Quite a contrast, isn't it, between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom when you lay them on top of each other? like that. Quite a contrast. And the rest of the story this week went on and talked about Hezekiah's 29 years on the throne. Gave us some great stories. One of the greatest, I think, is that this king of Assyria came after the southern kingdom. This is the same king that completely destroyed the northern kingdom, all right? And now he's coming against the southern kingdom, which is two tribes. He destroyed ten tribes. Now he's coming against two tribes. He comes against Jerusalem, and, and this is what he does. He sends his commander. This is like I don't even know what to call, these are dirty tactics is what it is. He sends his chief commander to the walls there and and, and he has the chief commander speak to the people of of, of Judah, right? These are, we, we used to call them Israelites, but now they're just, you know, children of God living in Judah, Judites. I don't know, um, Judeans. There we go. And so he's speaking to them and in Hebrew, this is what he says. Your king is not listening to God. He does not know what he's doing and Assyria has conquered every other nation and destroyed every other God so so you should listen to us not to your king because because every other God we have we have destroyed right so now Hezekiah has told his people don't don't listen to him and don't respond so the people don't respond and what Hezekiah does instead is he prays he says God they're right they have destroyed every other nation They're huge, and there's no way that we can defend ourselves. God, would you fight for us? And so Hezekiah gets with the prophet of the day, whose name is Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is kind of a big deal. The rest of the story is going to deal with him. In fact, this week, what you got were segments of the 66-chapter book Isaiah read. You got like five pages of Isaiah, okay? He wrote 66 chapters. They're all really good, and you should go read them, but you you got five pages. So now Hezekiah and Isaiah, the man of God, the prophet of God during this period, pray. And they said, God, would you deliver us? And here's what God does. God sends an angel of the Lord. And in one night, this angel of the Lord comes and he wipes out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Wow. Wow. See, when you study the word angel in the Bible, they do stuff like this. Like they're, they're pretty powerful. Cre- so when people tell me, oh, you, you give Satan too much credit. He's not that. Pow- I'm like, have you studied the Bible? Because like angels are, are pretty powerful. Beings and and here we go 185,000 people and and one night so you know what this proud nation of Syria does they turn tail and run they go home and like okay I was wrong about your God. We're out of here and they turn around now the rest of the story um, this week we learned about this 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 prophet of God named Isaiah. We got some some, some kind of an inside look at his life, especially his calling into ministry in Isaiah chapter six. How he has this great encounter with God that forever transforms his life and his ministry. And then it, it ends with with this prophet Isaiah telling us about the answer that is to come. There is one that is to come. We learned way back in Genesis that God was going to send someone to crush the head of the great antagonist of this story, Satan. We just don't know who he is yet, and we don't know what he's going to be like, but Isaiah begins to paint a picture, even though it's a little different from what we might expect. And so this morning, what I, what I want to do is, is focus on three lessons that we can learn from this portion of the story that we're studying together. And here's the first, ready? God blesses obedience. Right? God blesses obedience. Let's face it, a a lot of people that show up um, at church do so uh, because they're looking for answers, right? Some of them are are looking for for those deep answers, those deep truths. They want to know more about God. They, they want to know more about themselves God, you know, who are you who am I that's deep truth kind of stuff But I would say even more people that come to church just come to church really because their life isn't all that It's cracked up to be right. They come just looking for answers like God. I'm stuck something is wrong I, I don't know how to move on. I, I want to proceed. I want to I want to get beyond this I want to get to the the next level. I'm gonna talk in in game turn for a say It's kind of like that child in all of us like we want to win, right? I mean, God, I, I just, I, I want to be better than this. I, I, I want to win. I said this in the early service. We are kind of all known now uh, in the world where we are as, as, as the generations, we know the generations based on which gaming console you grew up with, right? Okay, so how many of you, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not looking, how many of you, uh, you remember Atari? Okay, how many of you spent hours playing Atari, the little ping, 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 you thought it was like the best thing since sliced bread? I ping. some of you remember when sliced bread came out. I, we're not going there. But ping, 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 right? And so you think, okay, so some of you, that, that, that's it. It was Atari for you. Now others, how many of you, like the real gaming console, the first one that really captured your heart was Nintendo. Uh-huh, Nintendo, right? And then after Nintendo came the Sega. And this is where real games were invented because you, you knew they were real games because you had to take out the cartridges and blow on them and put them back in. Yeah, it's a real game. Right now they've got all this fancy schmancy 4D, too realistic stuff. You know, the, the Xbox One S. Because the Xbox One was not good enough. We added an S. The PS 5000. Now we're only at four, but it's going to get there, trust me. And, and so, so now that's kind of worth it. Well, well, listen, when I was a kid, um, a, a Nintendo was the first big thing. And, and, and like all kids, I wanted to get to the next level. I felt like I was stuck. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? You feel like I just want to get to the next level, right? And and so what we learned early on is that the people that created the game had put within the system a cheat code. How many people know it? You still remember it. What what is it, Josh? Say it nice and loud. Boom, right? (laughs) And if you put in the cheat code... And you were playing Mike Tyson's punch out, you got extra lives, right? If you were playing Contra, you got extra lives and you could you could get to the next level. Well, hear me. And I'm not trying to offend you, but I believe today in our culture, a lot of people when we show up at church, the truth is we just want life to be a little better. We're just looking for something that we can do that will get us to the next level. And what we're really saying, what's coming out from the depths of, of, of our hearts, and we don't even know what it is, what we're really saying is, God, I want to know what it takes to be blessed. God, I just want to know what it takes to be blessed. I, I, want, I want the secret code to blessing. And here's the problems, unfortunately, my friend. You can read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you could even read it backwards um, from, from Revelation to Genesis, but there's not actually a secret code in there. There's not some secret set of numbers that will unlock it. There's not some, there's not some uh, one, two, three, four. I love list, right? I mean, I didn't used to, but I married my wife. She's a list maker. I love it. When she's going to leave or something, she's like, um, um, I need the house. To, I need y'all to do these three things. And I'm like, awesome, kids. You can't breathe until you do those three things. It's all, I mean, it's so helpful, right? And then they're done, and we can go have fun. And uh, so I, I, I love lists. And I think that's, if God would say, here's the three things you have to do to be blessed, we would be on We would do it. But the problem is there's not a cheat code. Here's what we see instead. Historically, when we study the Bible, what we see page after page, story after story, person after person is not a cheat code. But what we see unfold before our eyes is that God is a God who will consistently, historically bless the people that obey him. When people bow down and submit to God's authority, when they say, God, your way is right, my way is wrong. I'm going to do things your way. Time and time again, God does what he does here in the life of Hezekiah. He blesses that person. Now, I want to say a couple things about blessing because I think we, we've got some misunderstandings in our culture today. First of all, when I say blessing, I'm not, I'm not talking um, purely financial, okay? Uh, I think a lot of times when we think of blessing, we think of prosperity, and, and we learned last week when we studied the life of Elijah, right? Blessing doesn't always mean prosperity. Elijah did what God asked him to do, and he went to Ahab, and God said, well done, Elijah, now run for your life. I mean, that's what he said. He said, go hide in the valley, right? And, and so then three years in the valley, and somebody would say, well, that's definitely not prosperity. It's not, but it was blessing. Think about the apostle Paul. Paul prayed, God, God, would you please remove, remove this thorn from my flesh? Three times he pleaded with God, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. He says, I'm not going to give you what you want, but I'm going to give you me, my grace, and it's going to be better for you. And 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 Elijah got God's grace in the valley for three years. He learned how to rely on God for everything in his life, and, and it equipped him for that mountaintop moment when he goes up and, and there with God, he defeats the 450 false prophets of Baal. So, so, so blessing when i say blessing i'm not talking about prosperity the second thing i would say to you is this when you talk about blessing that something always stirs up within us that we and here's what it is um, we know a lot of people that aren't doing it god's way and they seem to be just fine right i mean we, you know those people in your life it seems like they are cheating and they're winning and here's what the story of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom show us ready justice will come Justice will come right justice is going to come sometimes in life. It feels like the wrongdoers are winning the race But God promises our text shows justice will come and so the first thing I'm going to tell you this morning is listen I'm not I hate to burst your bubble, but there's not a cheat code There's not a cheat code to this thing called life But what we do as we study the Bible we historically see God time and time and time again He blesses those that obey him. That's not a cheat code. In fact, it's it's difficult And here's what I want to say to you guys. Um, We, the people of God, we often want to be blessed by God, but the problem is we never want to change our behavior. Can I say that again? We want to be blessed by God, but we don't want to change our behavior. That is not how God works. That is not how God works. God blesses those that obey. So that's the first point. Point number two. Point number two. God's holiness helps us see our sin clearly. God's holiness helps us see our sin clearly. So um, the blessing of God uh, upon Hezekiah and his rule and reign because of his obedience, that is not the only story we learn. We also learned a little bit about this prophet um, named Isaiah. And, and one of my favorite parts uh, there is, is God calling Isaiah into the ministry. So I'm going I'm to be reading from Isaiah chapter 6 if you want to turn your Bibles there. Isaiah chapter 6. See, Isaiah had an encounter with God that forever change his life that, that should be the testimony of all of us really that we had an encounter with God that forever changed our life and I want you to read Isaiah's encounter because I think it, it teaches us a, an, an important truth about God and about ourselves Isaiah chapter 6 starting in verse 1 it says in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, with two, they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and, and the temple was filled with smoke. This is the real stuff, guys. This isn't the stuff like churches are pumping out of smoke machines these days, right? This was real, genuine smoke. And listen, and and look at his response verse five, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. This is how Isaiah is called into ministry. What an amazing account. I I, I remember, I don't know if you do, I remember the first time as a Christian when I read Isaiah chapter 6, I was floored. It, 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 the first time I read these words in the Bible, I, I was in awe of the magnitude of God. I, I mean, it just exalted my view of God. Here is God, and he's constantly being worshipped by these, by these angel-like creatures called seraphs. And they're, they're constantly flying, and they're even covering their, their face, and they're covering their feet, and they're just crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. and they're, they're singing this to one another. And as they sing, their song makes the temple shake. Makes the temple, the foundations of the temple are shaking. And, it, and it's filled with smoke. And he sees the Lord seated on his throne. And it, it just wrecks Isaiah. And what I want to focus on is his response. See, see, he saw God in all of his holiness. And what did it do to Isaiah? And here's what it does in verse 5. Isaiah cries out, woe to me. Woe. He says I I am ruined it means I am wrecked it means I am undone like like I am completely unraveled God he says and he says for I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the Lord almighty his response to the holiness of God is that he immediately seems sees his own lack thereof do you see that that's what happens He's in the presence of a holy God, and he immediately sees, like, oh, my gosh, woe to me. I am I'm wrecked, cut, I am ruined, for I am not that. I am an unclean man. I live amongst a people of unclean lips, like, and my eyes have seen the king. Woe, I am wrecked. I am ruined. I am completely undone. Listen, this is the effect that being in the presence of God should always have on us. This should always be a, a part of this In our corporate worship, then when we find ourselves in the presence of God, we we automatically understand we are not worthy. Right? That we are not worthy. It's why I say church should always hurt a little. Like, it shouldn't crush you, right? That's not the goal. You don't, like, come to walk away and go, oh, I'm terrible. There should be a little bit of terrible in there. Because when you see the holiness of God, you cannot help but see your lack of, See what happens in worship we come face to face with the most purest most amazing thing that there ever is and ever has been and in the presence of, of this God that has made everything that we see and everything that we don't we can't help but be undone and so so we see our own sin that's what it is the lack of holiness is sin so we see our sin and it makes us respond like Isaiah did God I'm sorry woe to me. But then in that moment, see, that's the hurt part. But then that hurt turns into sweetness because God will eventually, just like he did with Isaiah, with Isaiah, he brings a coal. With us, he brings a cross. And God says, I'm not just going to touch your lips. I'm not just going to make your mouth clean. No, no, by the blood of my son, I'm going to make your entire life clean. And so we leave seeing our value, seeing God's purpose of redemption in our lives, and we leave Understanding, challenged, invigorated, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and be the person that God has made us through Christ. Second point, second point. God's holiness helps us see our own sin clearly. Last one, last one. Okay. This morning I want you to see that Jesus is the only solution for our sin problem. Jesus is the only solution for our sin problem problem. Um, Now, reading through the Bible this way has been interesting, has it not? Has has anyone ever read through the Bible chronologically before? Uh, Some of you have done that. But it's an interesting approach, is it not? How many of you, um, not this way, but you have tried to read through the Bible uh, from Genesis to Revelation before you've given it a shot? So I tried to read the Bible through before. Okay, okay. All right. How many of you did not make it out of the Old Testament? Be honest. That's almost everybody that raised their hand the first time. Alright, you know why that is ready because the Old Testament is tiring it's tiresome right I mean it's like one more rule it's like one more begat. I mean the old test they they begat a lot in the Old Testament you know what I'm saying. This person begat that person, they begat that person, they begat. I mean, I, I, I'm like, wow, Solomon had 700 wives. That's a lot of begatting, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's a lot of begatting in the Old Testament. And then there's these guys called prophets, and the prophets show up, and they're like, you're stupid. Stop being dumb. Listen to God. Change your life. And the people are like, what? What did you say? And they never change. And, and, and then they face the consequence. And it's like, you read through the Old Testament, and you're so frustrated. Like, oh, my gosh. Guess what? This is, this is going to wreck your world. Ready? That's how God intended it to be. You're supposed to get tired of the Old Testament. That's the whole point. The point that we reach at this point in the story is that we start realizing some things about God and about ourselves. Here, here's the first thing we've realized. Laws don't work. Right? Right? Rules don't work for us. That's the first thing that we realize, that like rules don't work. They don't make us uh, like God again. In fact, in fact, the first man had one rule, and he blew it. It's my kind of guy right there. My mom used to leave the house, don't touch the oven. You know the first thing I did? Figured out what I could put in the oven. I wonder if I could melt some crayons. Ooh, this is cool. Mom's like, that is our finest pot there. Sorry. It's a good thing I didn't have brothers or sisters. It would have been bad. Don't do... Oh. We move on from the first person, right? And we, 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 we get to people like uh, the best men in the Bible. Like men that are labeled man after God's own heart. And we read about the life of David. And there's one guy, and in one instant, he breaks half of the Ten Commandments one time. All, this is the best of creation. So the law doesn't work, right? And then, and then we get to the king's. Okay, Americans, listen to me. Listen to me. The kings didn't work for the Israelites. By the way, America's not in the Bible. We're not Israel, just saying. Um, but, but when you put your hope in, in some kind of political ruler, it, they will always fail you. Doesn't matter, Democrat, Republican, hopefully some third party sometime. Um, like it's all, they're all going to fail. They're all going to fail miserably. It's just going to happen. And, and so, so we, we get the kings, right? And the first king, utter mess. The first king, like, crash and burn. Saul, like that. But then we have David, man after God's own heart, man after God's own heart, man after God's own heart. I want to sleep with a woman that's not mine. I'm going to cover up my sin. I'm going to call Uriah back. I'm going to lie to him. I'm going to make him think that he impregnated his wife. Oh, he won't do it. Well, I'm going to go send him off to battle, and I'm going to have him killed. Okay? I'm going to lie about it. I mean, five, he breaks five commandments right there. Then we get Solomon, the wisest man there ever was, marries 700 women. I'm just going to challenge that, that, that title, the wisest man that ever lived. You married 700 women. You have disproved your title as the wisest man that ever lived. I, I love one wife, husband of one wife. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Then we get to this part of the story, and it's the introduction of the prophets. And man after man after man, God, send, God sends these godly men that are just warning his children. They're like, hey, slow down, there's a cliff ahead. Man, if you keep pursuing your own desires like you are, you're going to crash and burn. And these men of God, some of them gave their personal lives to this. Like like Hosea. Hosea, God said, I want you, I want your personal life to represent my love for my children. So so he goes and he marries a prostitute. He's like, I'm going to redeem this woman out of prostitution. I'm going to make her my wife. She has three children to him. And then she returns to the brothel. And he has to go back. He sees her in the arms of another man, being loved by another man, and he has to go back and purchase her again. And you know what? Despite all that, the people still don't listen. Can you imagine the frustration? Like, I, I don't know if you've ever read the, the book, What Color Is Your Parachute, but you better hope that color's not profit. Because <sighs> so nobody will listen. And so where we find ourselves at this point is the story, is the law doesn't work. The kings are not good. And nobody will listen to the prophets. And here is God's intent for you. That as you read through the Old Testament, you grow weary of those things. And your heart begins to cry out, God, isn't there something else? Surely there's got to be another way because I have tried to, to live by a set of rules and I just became a Pharisee. And I have tried to submit to certain people's authority and those men have failed me. And I have tried to listen to people of God. But I'm struggling. And your heart is supposed to cry out, yeah, there's more. Yeah, there is more. And so we find... This man, Isaiah, this prophet of God, is really the first one that clearly begins to paint the picture of the solution that is to come, the one that we have heard about that is coming in our place. And I'm in Isaiah chapter 53, and I'm just going to read you the chapter. I want you to hear these words written about Jesus, the one who is to come. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1, says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man. He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. You ever thought that God didn't know what you were going through? Oh boy, look to Jesus. Jesus. It says, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Neither did the kings nor the prophets, but Jesus will. Jesus will bear our sin. By his wounds, we will be completely healed. We will be justified. It says he will justify many. That means make them just as if they had never sinned. This is God's solution. His son is coming. The Savior is coming, okay? How do we pack all this stuff up and take it home? All right, let me give you a few things real quick. My buddy Lincoln saying it's time to get out. Come on, pastor, help me out. Hey, Nebraska, he can't hear me. It's my friend right there. Give you three things to take home real quick and we'll be done. Number one, uh, I think that first piece of homework this week is this, guys, purify um, our lives, right? Purify your life. Committed to the process of purification. This is what set Hezekiah apart, if, if we're just being honest. So Hezekiah, we read in Second Chronicles, and we only read from 2 Kings in our, our copy of the story. But in 2 Chronicles, it says, within the first month of Hezekiah taking over as king, he began to purify the temple. He began to purify the temple. He, he made the priests purify themselves, and the priests went into the temple. They started taking out all the idols. They started cleaning shop right? And, and he did this with all of Israel, purification. But that purification didn't just have to do with other people. It also had to do with himself. He had to, he had to admit that he had a pride problem before God. That's not an easy one, is it? He had to purify his own heart. And here's what I'm saying to you. Listen, the Bible says that our bodies are a temple. And so I would just ask you this question in your life as a whole, in your life. Is there any place in your temple that you have exalted something to a place that it shouldn't be? That's what had happened. When you went into the temple of God, there were things exalted to places they shouldn't be. Even, even, Even things like, this is the way we've always done it. You look at the bronze snake. That exalted tradition to a place it didn't deserve. Is there any area in your life that is exalted to a place that it doesn't deserve to be? Here's a question I want you to write down. What do I need to clean out? I realize that's not a fun question. Who actually likes cleaning? I'm asking for real. We have had the flu in my house. I just want to know who I can call. I'll pay. You want to clean? That's fine. Come on. You can disinfect the whole sucker. I don't care. Like most of us don't like cleaning. Like it's just not like I, I'm. I'm going home in my mind right now. I'm like, oh, we got to do that and, that and that and that. Like that doesn't inspire me. Oh, I can't wait to go home and do me some dishes. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait. Oh, you know what's better than that? Folding some laundry. Especially after the kids forget to take it out and it's been in there for three days. You can't get those wrinkles out. Should we do the whole thing? We don't like to clean. You know what we like less than physical cleaning? Ready? Spiritual cleaning. We do not like to admit that we have areas in our life that aren't right. But when, when, when I ask you this question, is the blessing of God upon you or are you missing it? Did you come this morning, like most of us, just wondering, God, how can I get to that next level? Listen, maybe the answer is obedience. Some blessings of God only come through obedience. Now, God's gracious. He he gives us a lot of things we don't deserve, but there are some blessings that God reserves only for those that obey. And I just wonder today if that speaks to you. I wonder if maybe there's a relationship in your life that is struggling. Maybe it's a marriage Maybe it's a relationship with your children. And, and what's, what's wrong is you have not submitted it to the Lord. You're not obeying God. You know, as a parent, the Bible says that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not actually supposed to, like, provoke my children to anger. Sometimes I like it. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else, right? I mean, you just wake up, and you're kind of in a cross mood, and you're like, I wonder how I can get them going at 8 a.m. <laughs> hey, guys, Saturday, ding, 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 everybody out of bed, cleaning day. That They love that. High five, dad, I'm super excited, can't wait. Sometimes we do. The Bible says don't provoke, we provoke, right? Sometimes the Bible says husbands, love your wives as Christ loved loved the church and gave his life up for us. So we know God's call to obedience is to be a servant. I ain't giving you that remote over my dead body. It may be if you don't hand it over. I just wonder, is, is there an area of your life that you need to clean out? Okay, number two. Uh, my challenge to you, second challenge this week, is I really want to challenge you at some point in the week, right? Because I believe you're going to go out of this place, you're going to be reading the Bible, you're going to be praying, you're going to be worshiping God on your own. Um, in the midst of that, at some point when you're in the presence of God, you have to make sure you're stopping to see your sin, okay? You're stopping to see your sin. That second point, I'm, I'm going I'm to go back because I want to reference it. Um, that second point that we, we had was this, uh, if I can find it in these messy notes, that God's holiness helps us see our sin clearly. Our sin. And here's the problem, friend. Sometimes we come to church, and we hear the word of the Lord, and we immediately think, I know exactly who needs to hear that. And if you walk out of church going, I know exactly who needs to hear that, then you miss the point. Because you need to hear that. I need to hear that. First and foremost, woe is me, Isaiah says. I am ruined. First and foremost, I am a grave sinner in need of a great Savior, first and foremost. And so I'm just going to say to you, you've got to get this discipline down in your life that when you are in the presence of God and you see his perfection, you immediately see your own faults. And it's only there when you do and you admit those faults to God will you start to see God release growth in your life, okay? God, I need to hear from you. Stop and see your own sin. Let it hurt a little, okay? Last one, uh, just challenge you this morning, if Jesus is the solution, then some of you in this room just need to believe. I say that we, we've got a room, we've got some young children in the room, we've got some um, people that, that, uh, that are here today they have been visiting for a while. Uh, listen, I don't know where you are with the Lord, but I do know this. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know Jesus, right? And, and, and the Bible proclaims Jesus is the ultimate solution to our sin problem, and what we just covered today is that nothing else will do. And so, so I know some of you in this room, and, and guys, you are good people. I would submit that most of you are probably better people than me, okay? Most of you have the ability to hold your tongue better than I do. Most of you, I, I mean, you're, you're good people. Like, I, I've been in your homes, and I don't know, do you guys just clean before the pastor comes over? Is that what happens? Because I, I think you, you guys all have these immaculate homes, and I'm like, are my children the only one that stuff underwear into the couch? Right? I don't, I don't, I don't even know how. That, and socks. Socks, Right? I mean, does anybody else have, like, socks that are coming out of furniture? I have no idea. One, one day, I was sitting in our chairs that are for guests. They're just for guests. They're not for anybody else. And I sat down, and I, I, I something fell out of my pocket. So I reached into the chair, and when I stuck my hand into the chair, do you know what I found? Those stupid yogurt pouches. Stupid yogurt pouches. Into the chair. And what my guests sit in. And so, I, you know what I did? Even dumber. I reached and I pulled it out. And then I reach back in and you know what I found? Another yogurt pouch. 22 yogurt pouches later. God, what is wrong with you people? The trash can Seventeen and a half 17 and a half steps that direction. Listen, listen. God. The rules aren't going to help. The rules aren't going to work. The rulership, the kings... I ain't going to cut it. Say, well, I'm, I'm a conservative, and I, I voted for me some Trump. How's that working? Well, I'm, I'm a liberal, and I voted for Obama twice. That's great. How's that working? What, I, what I'm saying to you is none of that stuff matters ultimately because those things don't work to make us right in God's sight. Like, that is not what cuts the mustard. So we can be good people. You guys can be the best parents. Your children can listen and line up and and with fear and trepidation. Yes, sir. I mean, that can be your children, but that doesn't mean that you get to be with God forever because that doesn't make you perfect. You can have read the Bible cover to cover a hundred times, right? That too is not enough. The prophets were not enough. You have to believe in Jesus Christ. God's solution was so revolutionary that the people that knew him the best, missed it. Can I say that again? The people that knew him the best, missed it. Because they did not want to believe, that God's solution would not be a political answer. But that God's solution would be a servant, that would suffer and die in their place. The only way to be right with God, is to believe in Jesus. So if you're here today and you haven't, I'd encourage you to do so. I might even go as far to say, as repent and be baptized Um, somebody said pastor what does that look like it's actually not nearly as hard as you think ready the hard crazy and you don't write down these words there's nothing magic about them but just something like God I need you in my life I believe that Jesus is the ultimate answer and I I don't even know where to go from here but do something in me amen God will honor that prayer God will honor that prayer Jesus come take control of my life that's enough that is enough right there God will transform you okay Join me in a word of prayer this morning. Father, um, I'm so thankful for your word and uh, your willingness to meet with people like us. God, I pray that you would forgive us for the many times we have gathered and missed your holiness. We gathered and we just let it fly past us that you were trying to get a hold of our hearts. And this morning I say, uh, I, I pray that we would pause and take the time to let you do just that. Father, somebody in this room today, they knew when they read the words of Hezekiah cleaning out the temple, they knew in their heart of hearts when they read them this week that there were things in their lives they needed to clean out. Somebody here is struggling with the sin of pornography. And they've ignored it and ignored it and ignored it. They've tried to act like it was okay. And God, you flat out say, that is not okay. That's not of me. God, they they need to rip that out. Some... Are like Hezekiah, they struggle with the problem of pride. And they come to church and they don't hear anything about what they need to do. They can only hear about what others need to do. Ooh, that's dangerous, God. That is so off-putting to a world that desperately needs you. God, would we confess our pride before you today? Lord, whatever area it is that we're struggling to find that blessing of your hand... I pray that we would make sure that we are actively obeying what you've called us to do, okay? Father, for those that this morning, maybe for the first time in a long time, heard the words, holy, holy, holy. Maybe we're here today and we've just kind of been making church a ritual, but we actually came face-to-face with a sovereign, holy God, and it wrecked us. And maybe today we just need to have a time of confession of sin. God, oh, ah! Yuck, it's like this cough we're trying to get out. God, help us cough up all that sin, all those struggles to you. Would we just confess them in church? That's what church is supposed to be, a group of sinners that have problems and aren't afraid to show them in front of other people. Lord, if there's anybody here that's never believed in you, never taken that step of faith to step out and say, I want Jesus in my life, I pray today would be that day. They would repent of, of their own control and say, God, I need you to control me. And I will submit to do anything you want, even be baptized if that's the deal. Or whatever you want me to do, I'm going to submit to that, okay? Have your way with us, Lord, as only you can. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm just going to ask you to rise to your feet and in a spirit of prayer. Bow your heads and just pray a simple prayer. Go ahead. You can stand up now. It's not a one, two, three magic thing, people, okay? Stand up. Hey, you've been sitting for a while. You need to, I mean, just health says you need to stretch your legs. Come on. Now, with those legs stretched, would you just bow your head and your heart before the Lord and just say, God, how are you speaking to me? Maybe you feel the need to come and confess a sin here at these steps. We'll call them an altar for now. Kind of makeshift. shift. It's not grand or glorious, but it is does involve humility. You just need to come and say, God, I'm so sorry. I've been I've been prideful. Lord, I need help. Maybe there's some other area you you know is not of God, but you need to confess it. I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe you've just seen your sin today, broken before God. You need to come get on your face, maybe. That's an awkward place to be with a bunch of people looking at you. But maybe today you need to accept Christ. You need to believe in Jesus. You come forward and talk to me, if that's you. We're going to give you just a little bit to respond, however the Lord moves. Okay? Let the Lord speak to you now.